With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined today on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer Chris Herring. Chris, have you ever spent $4,000 for the right to boo a professional athlete who you don't like in a game they weren't even playing in, only to watch your team get beat so ruthlessly that by the end you found yourself booing them instead? I mean, I almost could have stopped you if it hadn't been for this home purchase a couple months ago, man. If you said, I could have stopped you. Have you ever spent $4,000 and just hit you with a no, um, <laughs> let alone all the other stuff? Like I said, if it wasn't for the the condo. But um, yeah, the, the, no. I mean, there's been a couple things lately, not to mention Coach K and some of the the money that was being spent on those tickets for his last game. Mm-hmm. Um you got some ballers out here, apparently, or some people that think of themselves that way. They, they can spend that much money. Um, I'll always be a little bit amazed at what people are willing to pay to, to go to games. But, um, <laughs> hey, once you pay that much, within re- within reason, and obviously the, the talk about fandom and how far that should extend and what all you can say and do, and we remember last year's playoffs with Trey Young and Kyrie and Westbrook, it, all, it obviously extends only so far, but... If you're going to spend that much money, you should, relatively speaking, be able to do and say what you want within reason. So, um, no, I've never spent that much money on a ticket to do anything at all. Well, apparently, according to um, last night's broadcast, thousands of people in Philadelphia did just that. So shout out to them. Um, we're going to talk a lot about that game today, but I just wanted to off the, right off the top just just point it out because it's it's fresh on my mind. Um, it was kind of glorious to see, um, you know, not to be too mean, but you know, Philadelphia when they suffer, I think the country rejoices collectively. So uh, that was great. We all rallied around it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Um, can we can we go back to that because this is also <laughs> the way we started before the podcast. You and I were talking about this. And uh-huh. I was like, man, that game sure was a bummer to like watch it devolve into whatever it was. And you were like, <laughs> no, I quite enjoy that. And then you just very casually 
seemingly neutrally, but not at all, say that like the whole country enjoys seeing Philly suffer. Not that I, I'm not here to you know to put a gauze pad on them mm-hmm. when they get beaten bad by a team, but I'm also not like you know singing hallelujah when they get their brains beat in you know in a basketball game. But I it think you were a different it, spot. Yeah, it was a unique <laughs> night. I found I was receiving texts and DMs from people who were like. I haven't rooted for Kyrie Irving since I can't even remember when. And tonight, Kyrie is my guy. And I kind of, I kind of felt the same way. Um, I don't know what it is. It's just, it's, it's obviously we're just, you know, having fun here. But like something about um, the buildup for that game and all the people wanting to boo Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons showing up, not even playing, and then you just get smacked like that after. Five was it? It was hard in six game, but he's undefeated in a Sixers uniform. They're pounding everyone into smithereens, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie just kind of show up and and like yeah. beat the bully down. It was it was it was fun to see. It was uh it was interesting to see. Like I said, for me, I can't think of too many games where I like sit down and it's like appointment viewing, um, or if they are, it's like not necessarily where the whole rest of the Twitter sphere is watching the game too. Like for instance, the you know the Suns playing against the Heat to me was a really big game, but I don't I don't get the impression at any given moment that like everybody's watching that game at the same time. With this one, it did kind of feel that way. Um, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Most people that follow me and follow you are probably NBA enjoyers, adjacent, whatever. Um, the Embiid KD moment happened last night, and I tweeted that GIF of. Um, Jack Nicholson kind of like shaking his head like, yes, Uh, because it was exciting to kind of see two people not really like each other and like two of the very best at what they do at a sport that we love really go at each other. Um, And I tweeted that absent any context. I hadn't tweeted anything about the game prior to that, but everybody knew what I was referring to. At least everybody that, you know, responded knew exactly what it was a reference to because we were all watching it. So in moments like that, I prefer for the games to be close. I don't have a rooting interest. I don't really care, but you get so worked up for it. It's been hyped up so much. You kind of, to me for the game to basically be over after a half is just kind of like, Oh, okay. Like um, I still watched it, but it was the buildup, especially from that moment was a little bit of a let down for me. Um, but it was still, it was still entertaining to watch. I still hope, that they get each other in the playoffs. I certainly would like to see them play against Simmons when he can play or when he does play. But um, yeah, anyway, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more. It was a wonderful appetizer for what hopefully will be a legendary playoff series. I'm knocking on wood right now as actually I'm not literally, but there's no wood around me, but I would be knocking on wood to get that series because <laughs> we, we need it. We deserve it. It'll be fun. Hopefully it happens. Um, all right, Chris. So on today's show, Uh, We'll be opening up the mailbag to discuss a fascinating rookie of the year race, the piping hot Minnesota Timberwolves, and so much more. But first, a quick reminder to please keep your emails coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. All right. So, Chris, uh, as we kind of pseudo started today's show, we have to officially start today's show with a conversation about Thursday night's heavily anticipated showdown between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. Two organizations that didn't like each other before the trade deadline. 
Um, and then James Harden and Paul Millsap get traded for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. And this was, as we were just discussing, this was Philly's first chance to boo Ben Simmons. It's it's Christmas. It's New Year's Eve. It's the 4th of July, all wrapped into one three-hour sporting <laughs> event for a city that really loves to hate. Um, they mock-cheered. When Simmons came out to dunk before the game, they chanted F Ben Simmons before the scoreboard made it ludicrous to do so. And in the end, of course, Simmons, who, again, did not play, um, he had the last laugh. The The Nets won 129 to 100. James Harden went three for 17 from the floor. Tyrese Maxey scored four points. It was just a disaster for Philadelphia. But I'm just curious, when you were just watching, particularly, I guess, early on, and just as the game kind of flowed, what stood out to you, Chris? Uh, yeah, after that moment I told you about, it was like, oh, this shit's not even close. Uh, stood out to me very quickly. Um, <laughs> being on Twitter during it, it, it made me think of a couple things where, where, I mean, I think we watched Philly. Certainly, you know, when we talk about appointment viewing. Also, we all wanted to see Harden in a Philly uniform. What does that first game or two look like for him? Um, it looked pretty easy. You know, it looked pretty effortless in some ways. Um, it becomes very easy to forget that they had not really played great competition um, in his first few games in Philly. And so, you know, kind of the plaudits and everybody, you know, myself included, I think, saying, you know, maybe Philly, maybe this was a really good deal for Philly. And maybe um, this is a team that we need to start thinking about a little bit more in championship contention, uh, you know, as a contender. Obviously, I don't think anybody was counting them out necessarily but you know like oh maybe maybe the idea of them being more of a favorite or closer to being a favorite is valid uh so i mean i don't know that there should be any massive takeaways i saw some takes last night um that you know for a quick minute depending on how much you fed in the the atmosphere just kind of the hype around last night's game people saying oh look harden disappears again um you know as if this is a playoff series and it it, it was just one game Harden did look bad. Some people were saying that they kind of felt like they'd seen in Harden's body language that just he wasn't going to have it or he wasn't going to really play that well early on. But, you know, you say that, but then Maxi, like you said, didn't play well either. Um, so it, it, it just kind of was what it was. I mean, it's been a season full of a lot of games with big blowout scores. The Nets were playing with their back against the wall to some extent. They're going to have to play that way for at least another couple games, another few weeks. Um Kyrie was playing. It was a road game. So I, I don't make that much of it. It, it. it was not the greatest look for Philly, but they're gelling and they're going to have to gel as a team still. Um, and we have yet to really see them play teams of this caliber or of this potential level. We know that the Nets can potentially be really good if they are closer to whole. Um, and frankly, we, we haven't seen them that way. We still haven't seen them that way because of Simmons. So um it was a beatdown, and that's all it was. But I think most teams this year have suffered one at some point or another. I was about to say the only team that maybe hasn't is Phoenix, but I remember Miami really um, beat them pretty bad at their home place too. So, um, also, stuff happens. You're, you're erasing the Celtics. The Celtics blew them out. They, this they beat the mess out of them. Out. Yes, I, for, I forgot. I forgot. Sorry. How, how dare I slight your Celtics? I know. That's okay. That's pod. why I'm here. No big deal. <laughs> but it, but that's exactly my point is that, I mean, you get a team that is desperate or a team that plays really well, shoots really well on a given night. That's what it looks like. And I, you know, I do think that there are probably some thought that Harden being there makes that impossible because you've got Harden and Embiid, but 
Um, Harden has bad games too. And uh, to some extent with how well he played in the first few, this just kind of felt like the inverse of that. Yeah, I tend to think regular season games aren't that big of a deal. Individual 48-minute contests. For this one, I can't tell what to make of it just because obviously there's the the personalities involved, the performances that kind of lived up or lived down to reputation. And I should also say that Harden was three for 17. Joel Embiid was living at the free throw line, particularly in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, he finished five for 17. And I thought Andre Drummond actually did like a pretty good job defensively against him. And he, he really struggled against um, Brooklyn's double teams in the post. Um, but with this game, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I feel like there are little like bullet points of um, or data points that are intriguing going forward. Like, for example, I wrote this uh, yesterday uh, up on the site, um, a piece about you know, just kind of assessing Harden's first month in Philadelphia and um, how the Sixers looked on both ends with him and what it kind of portended for the future. And one of the the elements that concerned me a little bit is uh, their spacing and their inability to space the floor uh, or just that being a question mark, I think, going forward when you play uh, Matisse Thibel as many minutes as it seems like they they might have to play him. Um, Tobias Harris isn't a great defender either, but um, has also been unwilling to take wide open threes and looks a little bit uncomfortable doing so. And, you know, you go up and down the list. If you were to play lineups that um, uh, are the best kind of spot up three point shooters for this team, then you really limit yourself with with playmaking and you really limit yourself on the defensive end as well. And I just thought that was it was interesting watching last night. Um, you know, Seth Curry is guarding Matisse Thibel and he's you know, Seth Curry is obviously not the greatest defender. He's not the biggest player, but like his ability to kind of wreak havoc as the low man um, and help really early when Thibel is standing in the weak side corner, or even when Thibel is, you know, he's doing those back cuts along the baseline, but Seth Curry is kind of twisting it. He's got his head on a swivel, making sure that Thibel doesn't, you know, creep too close to the rim and get an easy layup. And the spacing is just, te- like, it's terrible. And it, it, it's kind of reminiscent of the situation that Harden was in um, in Brooklyn, when he was so unhappy, when Joe Harris wasn't there, Kyrie mm. wasn't there, KD wasn't there, and I, I think it's 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 really interesting, particularly when we get to the playoffs. And I'm just thinking about this team, and it looks like they're going to be running a lot of pick and roll with Harden and Embiid as they should, but the pieces around them are question marks to me. And I think that Tyrese Maxey has been terrific. We should before we kind of crown Tyrese Maxey. It should be, and I think he's a really good, a young fit. dude. Yeah, young he played dude. really well, but he's a really young guy. Like you can't just say yeah. he's the third star here already. That's just not how it works. And in the playoffs, when you are totally locked in on every possession, defensively trying to stop a team like Philadelphia with their offense, um, and you're executing your scheme, and you're you're leaving guys open who can't shoot, and uh, you know your closeouts are way more intense. You know, I'm just thinking about. Like George Niang, 
that guy has been played off the floor when he was with the Jazz repeatedly in the postseason. And there's a reason for that, because he's not particularly great at putting it on the deck and making a play after um, he gets swallowed whole by a closeout. So I just I, I, I thought that was interesting, watching Philadelphia struggle a little bit when Harden couldn't get to the line on those downhill drives. And it was like, um, okay, so what is plan B for this offense? And then defensively, mm-hmm. they're just... I know that the, the Nets hit every shot. And they have great shooters, so that might just happen for an entire series against them. But defensively, this team is kind of a mess, too. And I don't know what the the solution is there. So I know I'm ranting a little bit, but I closed out my my piece with basically saying, like, I think the Philly's really good and really, really talented and has been impressive so far. But I think, like, before I even, like, you know, I think that they are... uh, a pseudo contender for sure, but I think their their chance of actually winning the title is going to be um, next season when Mori um, has an off season to do whatever he's going to do with Tobias Harris's contract. When he has a, a whole off season to bring in pieces that are more um, able to accentuate Harden and Embiid, who can space the floor, uh, another more ball handling, uh, just more two-way talent. Because uh, right now, I mean, this team is like DeAndre Jordan's the backup five, Paul Millsap's the backup. Like, what is... I, there's so many question marks here. And I, I feel like last night kind of vindicated a lot of how I felt about this team and a lot of my concerns about them. Yeah, no, I think the the point that you bring up or that is kind of apparent you know, there's always been an elephant in the room with this team, and the elephants tend to have max contracts uh, with this team. <laughs> so they they did address one elephant. They brought in Brooklyn's elephant. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, maybe he's less of an elephant in Philly. But now the question, you know, because like you said, and I think this is true of a lot of people, is part of why I'm really fascinated to see certain teams make the playoffs this season in both conferences. Um, you're asking a lot of Maxi to be like his role. It's going to be a lot different now than it was before in a playoff setting. And and even the first few games of Harden's tenure, I thought it was really interesting. Not that, I mean, they're stats, so it's not like they are biased in any sort of way, um, at least not in my eyes, but they were showing stats where it was like the first time a trio had had 20 points each in its first four games together. And I was like, oh, that, that is actually a really fascinating stat. I don't know that it actually tells you anything like it on the one hand, it tells you that they really are hitting the ground running, but two of those guys, you would expect to get 20 anyway. And then Maxi happens to get 20 or maybe not happens to, he was playing very well off James Harden being there. Great. Um, again, the competition was not really that stout to start. Um, you saw Maxi have a rougher game yesterday. You saw Harden not play well. Like you said, Embiid was not particularly effective when he was not getting free throws. Um, so they're bound to have games like that. But what should be making up for that, theoretically, you know, who is in the corner hiding but is a max contract is Tobias Harris. And, I mean, the, the, the riddle with him is that, like you said, he hasn't been the most willing to shoot when he's wide open. But the flip side of that is that statistically he's basically only been good when he makes quick decisions or when he shoots the ball right away. When he mm-hmm. dribbles for too long, he, he's not worth... I mean, he hasn't been worth the max deal really ever, but he's not worth the max deal, certainly when he's like putting the ball on the deck. He has every now and then like a good game where he's more involved, 
but you kind of need him to be a glorified spacer and knockdown shooter. Like ideally this is asking a lot because I know they're different in terms of how they move off the ball, but like you would really want him to kind of fill some of the role that Seth Curry left behind, quite frankly, like that would be great if you could have him do that. I know he's not that guy specifically, but if he could like approximate some of that and, you know, take on somewhat of that role, a JJ Reddick sort of role that the Sixers have thrived with before you would take that in a heartbeat, but it's like he shies away from just taking the shots that are there. And he's not good enough to justify taking the ball out of Harden or Embiid's hands, um, you know, as a one-on-one sort of player, certainly not in a playoff series. So that's the big problem. I mean, like, I think you can live with Maxi having a bad game here or there. He's young. He's going to do that. And I think that's exactly why you're saying maybe next year for them, because maybe he takes another step by that point, mm-hmm. even beyond the one he's taken this year, which has been a huge one. But I, I mean, what we've seen from Philly in the last year or two years now it's really effing hard to win a title, even get close to winning a title when you've got a max spot that is not being completely, completely utilized or completely blossoming the way that it needs to. And I think we knew that about Simmons and some of the stuff about his unwillingness to shoot, but it's wild now to think that you have some of that same issue with another guy. And like I said, we've known for a while that Tobias is not quite really max worthy anymore or that maybe he never was and they just didn't want to lose him after trading for him but uh mm-hmm. you need the guy to shoot and you need him to take certain shots specifically yeah i mean i know lot, i'm sure there's people who watched last night's game or who are looking at the box score and see that tobias harris went four for five from behind the three-point line last night it's like that's really not the point of what we're trying to say about him it's just a it's a really awkward fit um to play with harden it's like, just look at Harden's prime with the Rockets and how Daryl Morey built the team. There, There's no guys who, um, like, everyone is just, you have to be comfortable standing on the perimeter, like, literally just standing there, waiting for a pass, and then shooting it. And that's just not who Tobias Harris is. And that type of player, as you said, Chris, you don't want to pay a max contract. It's completely overqualified, and that's just not a good allocation of your resources financially. So... I just think it's really interesting. Um, I know that you aren't really taking too much away from last night's game, but having seen it, who's the better team right now, Chris? I mean, I'm still... Here's my thing. Um, There were two things that I heard last night. One of them was heard, and the other was just kind of saw through Twitter. It's like, oh, wow, Brooklyn really took it to Philly. Reggie Miller made the comment at one point about how the Nets don't even need Ben Simmons to score. Like, I don't know if people are just projecting this um, because of what we've heard about some of the policies and as it relates to vaccines, they still only have Kyrie Irving one out of every two games. And maybe not even that, depending on where the series is being played because of home court. So I don't, well, I, I guess from that standpoint, maybe the Nets are better off being an eight seed or wherever they're going to be. So maybe it's not as much of a problem. But if you're going to potentially lose this guy for three games, we haven't heard anything definitively yet about that not being an effect. And if mm-hmm. it is, I bet you probably are going to need Ben Simmons and his offense a little bit more and maybe the ability to score or at least take certain shots if Kyrie's not playing. I, I just don't think that they're going to be this offense that, oh, because you've got Kevin Durant there, you don't need anything else. Like that's essentially what you're saying. 
after, you know, if, if Kyrie is sitting out for three games a series. So I, I, that part of it, I don't get, but also the idea that this team, um, you know, we've seen if somebody gets hurt, that this team really doesn't have that much leeway or th- that much room or that much talent in some cases. Like we thought at the beginning of the season, they were so fortified. Um, mm-hmm. They're kind of going through it from, you know, an availability standpoint right now. Some of it is self-inflicted with Kyrie. But I, I look, I still can't really take them seriously yet just because of one game in a topsy-turvy season where everybody has looked bad at one time or another because of availability, because of anything else, off night. Um, I'd still take Philly here, but I, you know, I, I was not immensely encouraged by last night, but I would still take Philly if I had to pick one of those two teams. You would take Philly. Okay, so what if Kyrie, we know Joe Harris is done, which is a mm-hmm. huge bummer for them. Um, But like also Simmons is just a question mark. Like we haven't seen him right. play basketball in a really long time. That's what I'm so. saying. That's I mean, like, that, it's not, that's what I'm saying is it's a little bit crazy to me that like, and and I mean, maybe you can spin that the other way and say they didn't even have Simmons last night and look how they dominated the, the Sixers. I get it. I'm just saying, if you're saying that we're, we're drawing way too much from one game where Philly probably came out and really wanted to like play and look a certain way too. Now, I don't know if they're willing to play hard enough to do it, but uh, like I just don't I, I can't take so much from that without having seen Simmons play in a year and with Kyrie being available max four times in seven games as of right now if that shifts that's a huge shift but I I, I feel like now we've heard about it so much we're starting to minimize Kyrie's availability and how important that is in a series it essentially turns into what we saw last year with Harden and it it wasn't enough to get them past a team that they clearly looked to be better than. Mm-hmm. In Milwaukee. And so I, you know, it, it could be the very same thing here where, yes, we get to see them play at times. And wow, they look way better than the Sixers, but th- everything tightens up in the playoffs. You're not going to win games by 30. And the, well, maybe you might win one, but like you're not going to win games like that in the playoffs. Um, when the talent appears to be this level, if you're losing Kyrie and Simmons is out of it, if, he, if he's not really in a great middle space to play or, if he gets hurt because you try to ramp him up too quickly, any number of things. If Kevin Durant, you know, misses a game because he's hurt or trying to carry too much on his shoulders. Now, all that could happen with Philly, too. But I'm just saying there's way more reasons to have more question marks about Brooklyn than Philly right now. Even with Philly having, as you mentioned, their spacing, as we mentioned, Tobias Harris, Maxie's young, Harden. <laughs> Pictures emerged of him, like, going out last night after the game where they just got you know, really, I did, I did not. I did not see those pictures, but of I him having gone out me. somewhere. I mean, like, you know, and like, who's to say you shouldn't have a nightlife? Like, you you know, you have a job, you do the job, maybe not well on that particular night. But did he? We've we've, <laughs> we've seen kidding. we've seen pictures emerge before of Harden, like going out yep. and having a good time. So people were some people were frustrated to see that. I mean, so that's who he is, whatever, Um, you know, and hopefully those were all legit. And, you know, it was just people making that up. But there's a lot of questions about Philly, but I have way more about Brooklyn for right now until a lot of things change until Simmons is back. until Kyrie is either vaccinated, which, you know, oh, good luck now or right. Until policies change that would allow him to play in every game of the series. I think uh, I definitely agree with that. Um, the questions are, are, are more affecting 
for Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn has a higher ceiling. I probably thought that before last night's game too. And one of the reasons why, yeah, one of the reasons why, and um, Sports Illustrated's wonderful Twitter account um, asked this question uh, last night during the game: If Kevin Durant was the best player in the world, uh, and you know, I think it's fine to say he is, and fine to go with one or two, maybe three other names right now. The league is there's a lot of really ridiculous players right now in the world. Um, before I ask my, before I make my statement about KD, um, what did you think? You were, we're all in a text thread, so I kind of know how you feel about this. But you, what were your thoughts about? I guess Kate. It's just like watch. Sometimes when you watch KD and like Kevin Durant's. You for, maybe I'm just not you, but like people forget the one thing about him in big games that's just totally unstoppable is you give him the ball. You set a high ball screen in the middle of the floor, and it's just like, how do you stop that play? You That's don't. the play that is just like, it's 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 just it's the most. I don't know if he's the best player in the world. Maybe he is. That is the most unstoppable play in the world. Would you agree with that? Yes. Um, and actually, I think to answer your question, so we, we put it all the way out there. I've said repeatedly. I voted when we did our our top one hundred. At the beginning of the season, I said that I would take Giannis as my number one player over KD. I think you just extrapolated and explained why everybody else voted the other way and said KD was. I think it's why, you know, people from our site and, you know, generally speaking, I think most people would say, most people would say that um, Duran is the guy. The reason I didn't take him or didn't pick him as mine, and I had him number two, so it's whatever, it's not. You know, somehow like hater wildly. Right. It's not like <laughs> wild disrespect. <laughs> it's looking at his track record of how many games he's missed, which, you know, you could say, oh, that's kind of silly. It's kind of, you know, it, it's semantics. Um, No, like <laughs> literally last year we watched um, him miss. I mean, first of all, he's coming back from an injury when he came back last year. He came back. He missed considerable time last year. Now, the, to his credit, he looked incredible once he got back last year. Mm-hmm. He missed a decent amount of time this year in which we watched his team go into a tailspin and be forced to trade arguably second, third best player, wherever you want to put Harden in that, you know, the whole thing might fall apart without him there, which speaks to how important he is, but he's missed chunks of time several times now. And by the way, the guy that I would have put ahead of him or do put ahead of him is a guy that has won two out of the last three MVPs that, you know, won a title for his team in Milwaukee despite the fact that we thought he might have a season-ending injury in a playoff series that he then just came back from and looked like, you know, like... It turned out he wasn't human being, basically. Right. I mean, like, he looked like a machine. Exactly. He literally looked like a machine. So I I don't think you can downplay that. Like I said, I probably focus too much on availability or more, more on availability than most people do with Kyrie, with Simmons with Durant and with Giannis, but I think that that's part of it. But the part that you just pointed out, again, when you just watch someone's dominance game in, game out, including when he was playing Giannis in the playoffs last year, mm-hmm. he is unstoppable in a different sort of way than Giannis is. They're both unstoppable, but I think it's more noticeable with Durant because he can do several of the things Giannis can do, and he can do stuff that Giannis can't, which is to just take you in the middle of the, the lane or in the middle of the paint from the three-point line, 
you can't double the guy at the three-point line in the middle of the floor because you do that, he's going to hit whoever he needs to hit. He's a good enough passer. He could see over everybody. He could see over these 30-foot-tall trees I'm looking at outside my window. Um, he, I mean, he can do that. He can go around you. He can, you know, kill you in a pick and roll. Mm-hmm. He can dribble as long as he needs to to find an open shot. Like, he's one of those guys that if you have him one of those three dribble drills um, that they do at, like, uh, Team USA camps and stuff like that, the guy would be a beast. Like, you can't really stop him within three dribbles. He can get where he wants to to get off a comfortable shot and score better than 50% of the time. Giannis doesn't have that. And so that's what we see when he can drill shot after shot after shot after shot, no matter how good the defender is. That's what we're looking at. And I will readily admit that he's got that in his bag more than anybody else, maybe ever, let alone right now in basketball. But um, he's not always available. And, and that's part of why... I don't put him there, but I fully understand why everybody else does. Yeah. I think that just from watching last night's game, like they're putting Embiid in that high pick and roll over and over and over. And Embiid is forced to come up. It's uh, eventually he's forced to come up to the three point line. And as you said, Katie just throws it over the top to Claxton. Claxton finishes at the rim over and over and over. Drummond as well. And what are you supposed to do? Is it what he, exactly last year was Brooke Lopez dropping until they couldn't play Brooke Lopez anymore because those sixteen footers are a layup for this dude. So yeah, I that, I think that I was just reminded, I guess, of how when you want to go to that play and Nash has shown that he's just okay. We'll do it over and over and over and over again. It's just unstoppable. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I have an email for you, Chris, that kind of ties into this before we move on from last night's game. But it comes in from Manuel, who writes, Hello, Open Floor Globe. Hope that you're all doing great. As I watched the soap opera that was Nets Sixers, I kept thinking, is this the future of NBA rivalries? As player movement keeps growing and as we are more informed than ever about superstars' private lives and feelings, it seems an important part of covering the competition is personal drama. Last night felt more like the season finale of a soap opera my abuela used to watch than a sporting event. Keep up the great work, Manuel from Spain. Thank you so much, Manuel. That was a wonderful email. Um, Chris, you were tweeting about this last night a little bit about rivalries, and we said at the top that watching Embiid and KD go at it. Um, I even saw, or a lot of people, I'm sure, whoever watched it, it felt to me like Kyrie was like really up for that game guarding Harden 
um, in a way that you don't watch him play defense like that against everybody <laughs> or and anybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I thought it was just that was really um, interesting to me. And Bede was up for it. Katie, they were all up for it, except I guess, you know, Harden, whatever. Um, but you tweeted about it. And I just thought it was fascinating because after the game, I was thinking about it before I even got Manuel's email, which came in this morning. Like, rival the rivalries of old because of all the player movement you know uh 80s sixers celtics bad boys pistons bulls um heat knicks in the 90s which is like one of my favorite rivalries growing up ugly ugly rivalry nasty ugly ugly but so much fun if you're like in Mm -hmm. the fourth grade um (laughs) (laughs) we're not going to really get those anymore because of player movement and what we are going to get potentially are players who were teammates who have to face each other again in different jerseys and watching those dynamics instead of just the team concept, I think is really fascinating. And this isn't the first time that it's happened. Obviously, when KD left to go to the Warriors, there was a beef that was clear with him and Westbrook and there was drama when he went back to OKC. And then, so it's just, there's a lot of stuff. They were trolling each other and the outfits that Westbrook was wearing. It was just like, that stuff is, this isn't necessarily brand new to the league, but we're going to be seeing it more and more and more, I think. And so just what are your thoughts about this like new age of, of rivalries and what it brings to the league? Yeah. So Just as a quick plug, I wrote a story today that essentially was kind of about player movement um, in the sense my my piece was about how difficult it is to be an NBA fan now if you really like buying jerseys um, because of the idea story, by the way, (laughs) what was it the the short lives of uh, (laughs) the the real short lives of NBA jerseys or something like that, which obviously is a play on the real housewives. Um, It was. (laughs) It was a fun story, uh, but I, part of what I was fascinated by and why I wanted to write the story or even get input from fans about it was that it, it's impossible to buy a jersey and feel good about it for current players, at least, because, um, you know, the woman I spoke to and built the story around was a Rockets fan. And she's gone through and like in the span of like six, seven years, uh, Pat Beverly, Chris Paul, uh, Russell Westbrook. She's had, you know, dozens of hardened jerseys, seemingly. But all these guys, Carmelo, uh, Boogie Cousins, you name it, Luis Scola, and all these jerseys. It's like half those guys I just mentioned were with the team for a year max. Um, And then, you know, because she's a Harden fan, she she rocked with Harden even after he kind of pouted his way out of Houston. She went and got Nets gear as well, got a Harden jersey for the Nets. (laughs) Her parents got her Harden pajamas, or uh, I'm sorry, Nets pajamas for Christmas. And now he's on another team, like basically a little bit over a year later. So the the whole point, though, is that player movement has sped up in a way that the league has never seen. I think the stat I had in my story was that 27% of players um, from 2010 to 2020 that were on a team one year were on a new roster by the start of the next year which is the highest percentage we've ever seen um, in NBA history. And it's like, to give you perspective, it's like essentially 10 percentage points higher than what it was during the eighties, where it was like 16% of guys would end up on a new team the next year. So 
you're never going to have. And, and I think just player movement and the fact that stars are driving a lot of it where they want to go play what they want to do. And when they decide that they don't want to play somewhere anymore, that they just leave or that they make it untenable to keep them on a team like Harden was starting to do um, or, you know, Westbrook or anybody else. Westbrook will be probably after this year will be have been on five different teams in five years, um, which is a crazy thing to say, given that dude had won the MVP like a, a few years ago. Same thing with Harden. So it's top 75. That that's what's killing, I think, the rivalries is that you and we've discussed this before. We discussed it around Christmas time. The NBA's idea of a rivalry now, at least from a TV standpoint, is like we know this player and this player have a history or that they've been like, you know, KD and LeBron. We could always build something around that LeBron and Steph. We could always build something around that Steph and CP3. We could always build something around that. But it's not rooted in teams anymore. It's rooted in the, the players. Um, which cool, but you know, as someone that just finished writing a book about a nineties team, you know, writing the book about the Knicks from the nineties, the Knicks had a, a killer rivalry against the Pacers against the heat. They obviously really, really disliked the bulls. And even though they never beat the Jordan era bulls, they came damn close a couple of times and then did beat them when, when Michael retired, um, you know, during the year that he was off in 94. So all I can say is that the league, the the fan bases are kind of alive in a different sort of way when they look forward to playing against a sp- specific player, a specific team. Um, but you need the year-to-year continuity of the coaches, of the players, of the star players to exist in the same way. And if you don't have that, I mean, we've 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 been without one of the biggest driving factors, forces for the NBA in a, for a long time. And I mean, the best one we had as of late, really, I guess, was the Cavs and the Warriors, which maybe that would have gone down as like a great, great rivalry. But a certain KD character got involved mm-hmm. and kind of shifted the the balance there, you know, a little bit, which is part of why people got frustrated. We did have that finals matchup for four years in a row, but it fundamentally changed when when KD got there. And, um, you know, and I, you know, it, it just it was fundamentally different at that point. Yeah, this is a fascinating topic that could basically take up an entire episode but everyone go read chris's article on player movement and the real house jerseys real short lives of new jerseys (laughs) (laughs) that was and i read it the first time and i was like i don't get it and then i looked at it again i was like oh as you could probably tell i don't watch real housewives of new jersey or any other real housewives series but uh it was still a really clever idea it was a cute idea (laughs) I'm speaking in jest, of course, about the headline. The story is wonderful. Chris, you did a great job on it. Um, Thanks, buddy. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary... What's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I want to now shift to this email from Lucas that is really interesting. Um, Lucas writes in, hey guys, been listening for a while now. Thanks for all the laughs and tips for my fantasy team. Keep it up. <laughs> I just, I can't do fantasy. Um, I'm a big Raptors fan. So I got to ask what you guys think about Scotty Barnes and what do you think are his chances to win rookie of the year? Also, since mm. I live so far away from Toronto in Calgary, Alberta, do you think the NBA will ever expand more into Canada, possibly back to Vancouver? It's not that cold, I swear. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Uh, Lucas, I say that about Chicago sometimes. <laughs> I'm lying through my through my clattering teeth i am lying because i'm cold right now you see the way i'm dressed right now i'm cold yes uh for those i'm inside chris is always in a humongous hoodie and a beanie and looks very cold (laughs) i'm not going to lie um (laughs) thank you lucas for that email is great i mean real quick i i i don't think that the nba is going to expand in canada um anytime soon sadly i've never been to vancouver heard wonderful things me too. Wish there Same was here. a team in Vancouver, um, even though I was recently in Memphis, and that's also a wonderful place. And so I don't want Memphis not to have a team. I'm not saying <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> but I think the reason we're not going to have that, like we should get all the way into it just briefly, is uh, Seattle. I would hope, I would really hope Seattle is one of the next, if not the next city, then the city after that to get a team. And mm-hmm. um, if that's going to be the case, because obviously they lost their team. Um Seattle and Vancouver are probably like two of the more geographically aligned places in the league. And so at that point, if you're going to put two teams that are clearly, clearly out West like that, you would have to then balance it by putting another team in the East. Mm. I don't think you would put two teams that close geographically together. If, especially if you're assuming that Seattle would be the first one to get one before Vancouver did. So I don't see that happening anytime soon. Like who knows when they even expand by one or two teams, let alone, I think you would essentially need four new teams to put one in Vancouver and one in Seattle in my estimation, but I don't know. Yeah. Then there's Las Vegas. Um, Louisville is talked about all the time. Uh, Mexico city would be cool. I don't know. Um, I'm always wanting San Diego to have a team just because that would be wonderful to go to San Diego. Rockets, baby. I know. Exactly. Clippers too. Um, Okay, so rookie of the year here. Um, like in answering this question, we'll talk a little bit about Scotty Barnes for sure, I assume. Um, but I asked you, Chris, as kind of an addendum to just rank your your three top three rookie of the year, how your ballot would be if the season ended today. Um, I'll just give mine first, and then we can kind of riff for a couple minutes. Uh, sure. All right, so my top three are uh, Scotty Barnes, number three, number two, Evan Mobley, and number one, Cade Cunningham. Uh, Chris, what are your top three? And then we'll kind of, we'll dissect. Yeah, um, I'm going to go differently here. Um, I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts, but I'm going to go Cade three. Oh, Uh, I'm going to go. Scotty Barnes two, and then I'm going to go Mobley one here. This is probably the most you and I have ever disagreed, by the way. And I'm going to have Franz Wagner 
fourth and and feel good about that um, because he's had a fantastic season that mm-hmm. his numbers now granted he's plays for a bad team but normally when we have people putting up his numbers it's on bad numbers bad efficiency numbers his are on very very good efficiency numbers and he's playing he's good been awesome too. he's been awesome he's been awesome he's been better than he was at the start of the year when he was already really good um, do you want to explain first or do you like Sure. This feels like one of those Lucy Ricky Ricardo situations, man. No, sure. Like, <laughs> uh, Lucy, explain. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, look, you you can't go wrong. I'm not like upset of, at your order or anything. I think if you asked me two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I would have said Evan Mobley number one. Um, mm-hmm. He's just been terrific all season. He's been a revelation defensively. There's really no one like him in the whole league uh, in a lot of ways. Um, Scotty Barnes has been terrific. Just kind of throw him in to a team that's very competitive. Um, and he's played big minutes. Uh, one of the better two-way rookies I've seen in a while. Just his his intelligence is, is really next level with the ball. Um, and he's been relatively efficient for a rookie also. So, uh, yeah, uh, all, all very impressive. Uh, nothing against people who think Scotty Barnes is the rookie of the year. Uh, the reason I went with Cade is partially because I'm, I'm, I'm writing a story on him right now. And so what? I have a little bit of a, I have a little what? bit of a, I, <laughs> that's not a reason, sir. No, let me finish. So, let, let me let you finish. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so thanks, Kanye. So right. Um, I have a little bit of a bias, and just in terms of, I've been watching a lot of Pistons games over the past mm-hmm. few weeks. And if and you have, dude, I mean, his dude's been incredible. No he's question. Been terrific. Like I know the yes. the efficiency does not stack up. Um, right. He leads all rookies in scoring. He's second, I believe, in assists behind Giddy. Um, he's like third in rebounds per game among rookies. And I know that those are just basic counting numbers and I don't mean to, to bypass his true shooting, which is bad. And, um, a lot of that is from, or some of that at least is from having the, the sprained ankle, the ankle injury that prevented him from participating in training camp and just having a really rough start to the season. But like Mobley and Barnes, are in two situations that are just not even close to the situation sure. that Kate is in, where Kate is, sure. Kate does everything. Um, he's the point guard. He makes play. He's basically kind of like the, 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 the heliocentric conductor of their offense in in a way that Luca is in Dallas. And, um, you know, he runs a ton of pick and roll. He's just setting everybody up. He's got to look for his own shot, create his own shot. And, I mean, his usage is a lot higher 27 than... 27 and a half or something like that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot but higher. Lately, than it's been even higher than that. Yeah. Yeah, and he's been ridiculous in crunch time as well um, for mm-hmm. a 20-year-old rookie to kind of have those chops. It's been very impressive. They've been winning of late, too. And it's like Mobley comes in. I don't mean to denigrate anything that Mobley's done, but like offensively, it's just like we're not really asking you to do um, too much, Evan Mobley. Like, uh, like the the options that they have on their team, Darius Garland, who's emerged as an all star um, as a rim roller, Jared Allen, um, 
also emerged as an all-star this season. They have a lot of competent players off the bench, too. Um, and before Ricky Rubio was hurt, Ricky Rubio, they had veterans, Kevin Love, et cetera. And they've been on like a playoff team this whole season. The, the yes. Toronto Raptors have Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, um, uh, OG Ananobi when he's been held. They have just, uh, they're like a veteran team that has, that was expected to go to the playoffs and they shouldn't have even, they had the fourth overall pick because of a totally weird season last year where they're playing down in Florida and, um, it was just a nightmare season and that th- they're awarded this pick, but they aren't built like a lottery team. And so I just think that when you consider the context of Cade's season and if you watch him for the last two months, um, he's just been kind of a, a revelation. And the, uh, I think like with all due respect to Mobley in particular, who I love, I adore. Like, I feel like if we did the draft over again, like the Pistons still take Cade. He's been, he's been that good. I don't even know if I would disagree with that. Yeah. So, so let me hop in here. Um, Cause like I said, this is probably one of the bigger disagreements we've had. And like, I don't think there's a totally, totally wrong answer here, but I, I do think you're totally right. First of all, Cade was hurt to start the year. So he wasn't even playing to start the season when he did play, you know, we, I think we had stat muse and every other kind of, I won't say stat muse is like a troll account, but like there are times where they kind of have been that have been that this year, there were people trolling Cade for how long it was taking him to hit threes or you know, how long it took him to hit a three and he was struggling mm-hmm. from an efficiency standpoint. He was also on the worst team in the league, you know, coming into the worst team in the league that needed him to do a lot. Um, even some of the stuff we felt really excited about at the start of last year with Jeremy Grant has regressed and like really hasn't come back to the level that people might have been as excited about as they were. Sadiq Bay is probably the next best player there. And is a guy that is still learning and like for, you know, here and there shows flashes a little bit more, but on a lot of nights, he's mostly spotting up and he's playing off of what Cade and other people in that position create. So I'm right there with you. You know, Cade is a, is a good defender who is, is, you know, he, I don't know if he was projected this way. He's going to end up having to be a heliocentric sort of piece for that team, the way he has been. And I'm right there with you. I, I try to watch a lot of Pistons game. I have a lot of friends in Michigan um, I've said for two years now that they're one of my favorite league pass teams. So I watch them a lot. Um, even when I am not watching their full game, I make a point to try to tune into the ending situations of their games because mm-hmm. it, you know, I think they're a team that people take lightly. And because of that, the Pistons hang around a lot of games, you know, maybe the latest example against the bulls where DeRozan kind of bailed the bulls out in that game, but I'm watching him make all the right reads and all the right plays and, and sometimes being rewarded for it with his own scoring or setting somebody up. I've said before, I've watched a lot of games where he sets someone up perfectly and there's just no assist to be had because someone doesn't shoot or Mm -hmm. because someone bricks an alley-oop or, you know, uh, whether it's Diallo or someone else. So I've seen all that. Um, I think where I struggle a little bit is that, and maybe I'm paying too much attention to this. Maybe I'm thinking about it too much. Um, When we've had other guys, and maybe it's just because of who's been a part of these races, um, Anthony Edwards was a guy that last year very much looked apart by the second half of the season uh, for MVP. I'm sorry, not MVP, but rookie of the year. And, you know, statistically efficiency wise, like there wasn't really a great case to be made. He certainly looked the part. He was a dominant player. He was the best player on his team at times, which is saying a whole hell of a lot with cat there. 
on nights where Cat is there. But there were times where it was true. Um, there are times where we've been able to say that about a few guys over the last few years where statistically, I just don't think there's much of a case to be made um, from an efficiency standpoint, where if your efficiency is like, if you're hovering just above or just beneath 40% and struggling from the three-point line, it's a little bit hard for me to make a case with just the counting stats when there are other guys that are worthy of that and there are guys that are huge parts of their team with really, really good efficiency numbers Mm -hmm. that are going to make the playoffs. I think where I would disagree with you uh, beyond what I've said is that um, I don't think anybody came into this year thinking the Cavs are a playoff team. I don't think anybody Fair. came into this year definitively saying that the that the Raptors were a playoff team. Um, and you could make the argument that even though he was not, he was like the odd man out with the All Star consideration. Um, Mobley has been, you know, I think you could make the argument that he's been their most important defender, even with Jared Allen being as good as he is. Um, he's been a, a huge important offensive cog for them playing in a lineup where they play two other guys that are seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to mention that he's going to get an opportunity to, to, to kind of show how much he can carry on his own as a big man, kind of with Jared Allen being out here. So all the stuff that you've said about Cade offensively on some level gets a chance now to be true for Mobley defensively and to some extent offensively. So I look, maybe he'll lose the award in my mind, you know, in the next few weeks here without Allen, who might not be back before the regular season's over, but I would take him. And then Scotty Barnes, like you said, he's a really, really talented two-way guy that has won some games for Toronto, Um, which I just think that to me, I I totally get how much Kate is having to carry on his shoulders, but um, I didn't have high expectations. Like I thought maybe the Raptors could make the playoffs and that's kind of where they're at, but I didn't expect Scotty Barnes to be like so solidly in the mix for like where he is in the pecking order for them. Like he's a huge part of what they do where they really, you know, certainly offensively, I did not expect him to come around this quickly and to, to do what he's doing this quickly. So I would take those two from an efficiency standpoint. I think what they're doing is more meaningful for better teams. Um, I do feel bad for Cade, but I feel like you look at his numbers, the last seven, eight games, the last two, three weeks, he's been fantastic. And if this had been the case all year, it's a no brainer for me because he's having to carry so much, but it was a really rough start. He's had the injuries and, you know, he was out to start the year. Um, I can't quite see making the case for this big of a gap in the efficiency with the other two guys. Um, All fair. Very fair. I mean, I think that all three of these guys in two years, all three could be all-stars. That's how good Easily. they are. Easily like, could be. They're all incredible. Um, they're all very advanced. And again, I'm just picking Cade because I have not watched as much Raptors basketball over the past three weeks as I've watched Pistons basketball. I do watch a lot of Cavs just because they're a joy. And I think I'm almost like numb to Evan Mobley because the first like two, three weeks of the season, I was just like, okay, this is the greatest basketball player I've ever seen. And so it's, it's, it's like the, the, my expectations for Evan Mobley are just like unfair. Um, but but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm I think I'm going with with Cade there by the slightest slightest margin. And It'll be an interesting race. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Still still a lot of basketball to be played. Yeah, um, there is. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. 
When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we have one last email coming in from Kerry. It's about, uh, well, I'm just going to read it. Kerry writes, hey guys, the Wolves have won six in a row and 11 of our last 14, including beating the darling Memphis Grizzlies. Every other West team ahead of us has been awesome too, so it hasn't gotten us out of the play-in. I'm just super pumped we're not having to root for a high draft pick like we've had to every year since the KG days. Um, Thank you so much, Kerry. I mean... Let's, I just wanted to talk about the Timberwolves for a second with you, Chris. Um, as Kerry wrote, they're on this six-game winning streak. Do you know when the last time is the Minnesota Timberwolves won six or more games in a row? Chris? Six? No. They had one of five earlier this year and maybe one of four. Maybe I'm mixing two up. But I know they've, they've been close this year. They've had a couple of nice little streaks this year. Six, I'm guessing... I'm going to guess and say that that Jimmy Butler year that they had a, a winning streak of six, did they not? Incorrect. The last time the Minnesota Timberwolves won six games in a row, Kevin Garnett was the MVP of the NBA 2004. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so ridiculous. Back in the days happening. when the Sacramento Kings used to make the playoffs. Holy shit. Yeah, exactly. So uh, <laughs> what is happening, right? I felt like that was like a wild stat and really encapsulates what is happening right now in Minnesota. Um, John Krasinski of The Athletic wrote this really wonderful story about how it's revitalizing like the downtown Minneapolis um, um, like restaurants and bars near Target Center, which I thought was like really, really That's interesting. Cool. Um, they have the second best net rating in the NBA since February 1st. Uh, their offense is absurd. Carl Towns, in my opinion, is and deserve is deserving of and should be third team All NBA center behind Jokic and Joel Embiid. And if both those guys make first team, then I think Carl will easily make an All NBA team. But I don't think they they both should make first team. That's a different conversation for a different day. Um, the other night, Malik Beasley. What do you make like 11 threes? Uh, I think that was like an NBA record with no two pointers made or something like that. I don't just they've been a volcano. Um, what do you think about the Minnesota Timberwolves right now? Like, are, are you thinking? I know we had this whole big conversation about the Pelicans, and of course, they like their, their wheels fell off because <laughs> CJ McCollum, yeah, goes and health and safety so much has happened. Ingram gets injured. Um, good lord, but the Timberwolves are. They're a lock to make the play-in. I think they're going to have the seven seed, home court, play-in. What do you what do you think about this team? So here's what I'll say. I'll start it by saying this, that the eye test 
in terms of the athleticism they have, the offense they have, the defense that they can kind of clamp down and play. Um, there's so much to like with this team. And what I would be really interested to do, and maybe I shouldn't out my story ideas here because people listen. <laughs> Our editors are not going to be happy with me. Um, so I'm talking about the eye test, but like statistically and the stuff that you and me kind of care about, the sort of writers we are, every stat kind of signals like be on the lookout for this team. Um, mm-hmm. They are top 10 in the league in offensive rating. They're tied for 10th in defensive rating. They are in the top 10 for net rating. And when you look at just since the all-star break, they're five points, damn near five points better than the Bucks, who are second in net rating since the break. So they're they're like 15 points per 100 possessions better than their competition since the all-star break, which is first by a mile. It's like basically first by 50%. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's it's nuts. So you pair those sorts of numbers together with the idea of just how they look and like who's on their team and the fact that they've got guys that can go get you a bucket. They've got guys that are, you know, that are really gritty sort of defenders. Here's the thing that I'm curious about is I look at numbers like that and I look at the sort of kind of uneven season they've had where they've had some winning streaks. They, they've had some periods where they've had long losing streaks too. Um, I think we're starting to kind of lose. You remember that that line from Michael Irvin, like, we're losing recipes. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm starting to get curious, like, how important net rating is in a season like this where so many guys are out and so many teams will kind of lit up the white flag or just say we're not going to have our main guys travel because of this is a COVID replacement game and so we're not going to send our main guys to go play. I don't know. Like maybe I'm just in my head, but like the net rating, I'm starting to wonder how much they matter just because there've been so many guys in the league this year that have played for a few games and you've had so many blowout games and stuff like that. But I say all that to say that like, I'm a little bit, I remember the Cavs having the best net rating in the league. until like two or three weeks ago when the Celtics came out of nowhere um, or not two, three weeks, but like, you know, the Celtics obviously overtook everybody, but the Celtics were doing that from like eighth place. And now they've got, so I don't know how much to put into the net rating, but like I said, everything about that signals that the Timberwolves are a team to be taken seriously. Um, I worry a little bit about their experience level for the playoffs, but the irony here is that if they make it as a seven seed, they're going to be playing a team that doesn't have a ton of playoff experience either. If if the Grizzlies end up getting that seventh, the second seed. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot to be curious about. There's a lot to be excited about. Um, I can't wait to see some of their guys kind of on it. I mean, ma- mainly Anthony Edwards on a playoff stage. Um, I've wanted to see them kind of back in that spot since Butler left. Um, Cause you know, that was seemingly part of the reason he left is that he felt like this team wasn't really tried and true and tested and hungry enough. And they have a different look and a different feel to them. It makes me happy to think about a Midwestern city, having people kind of load up in the bars and the places around the downtown area to be just in that atmosphere because this is a team that has not tasted much of that. And um, I, I don't know how much they need to be feared, but like they're certainly talented enough to win or steal a series. And I, I don't think anybody would take them lightly because there's a lot of talent on that roster. Yeah. I read a story along. It feels like 
forever ago about their defense. And it's, you know, they've switched some of the, they dialed back some of the aggression a little bit here and there. But it's still been a really good defense by and large for the majority of the season. D'Angelo Russell has been kind of eye-opening this season for me. I thought, I didn't think too highly of him um, for most of his career in terms of someone who could actually impact winning on both ends. He Did we have him been, in our top 100? I can't remember anymore. I I mean, I hope we had him in our top 100, but... But um, like not high up if we did. I think maybe it was low down. Let me see. If we I didn't. We, if we, if we, is he, yeah. He's he top, had to have been in the top 100. I'm just trying to figure out where it was. It must have been not low. top 50, but yeah. um, maybe a listener can Go ahead. look that Sorry. up for us. But no, but like, you know, he's just been, he's been really good. And they've been really good when he's on the floor. Um, I love the Patrick Beverly edition. It, it's given them that. You know that's that that like spice, that fire, that intensity that they just haven't had since. Well, I mean, Jimmy brought it for sure, but mostly since Carl Towns has been on the team, they just haven't had a, a presence like that. And then you add Anthony Edwards, who you know he's very young and um, has games that are just. I mean, the stats are are eye popping with his ability and we all know his athleticism and um so he's he's just fantastic and their starting five is one of the best units in basketball and has been all season from end to end so when they're healthy they're very good i would love to see a a a wolves uh grizzly series i would also like to honestly see a wolves warriors Warriors. series me too i I think that would be fun like I don't, I'm not picking the Wolves be. to win that, but I think that they will in Minnesota. I think the playoff games will be bonkers and not an easy place to win, regardless of who you are. And again, I, I also just can't really say enough about the season that Carl has had um, on both ends, but particularly offensively. I mean, this guy just. He's so. I was texting somebody this the other day. He's just like he's like over, or not overrated. <laughs> the exact opposite. Um, he's overlooked and a little bit underrated. <laughs> yes, uh, there this you go. season. And thank you, I thank you for your assistance, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just he's just been awesome and uh, one of the better talents in basketball. And when he's on the floor, like the space he creates for Edwards and Russell and Beverly and um Vanderbilt and uh um, everybody on the team as the five man who can who can really space and is the best outside shooting big man of all time it's great so yeah Timberwolves are fun wanted to shout them out on the show thank you Carrie for writing that email can I say one thing about them like what I'm excited about is that um they're they're a team and they've been this is part of what I was saying about the net rating where like teams there have been some teams that are just really beaten the hell out of the the kind of the the others and the in the standings you know just like the teams that are way at the bottom you beat the stuffing out of them you can kind of bolster your net rating that way um the timberwolves have had a really i won't say easy time but pretty easy time against the bottom of the league i think they're like 23 and 10 against teams that are under 500 now normally they're they're one of the bottom feeders so um you know they're one of the teams at the bottom they've really shown 
kind of their medal in winning the games they're supposed to win or the games that they feel like they're supposed to win. But they've mm-hmm. been very decent, certainly for what the expectations probably were. They've been like a, re- a very decent, like 15 and 19 against teams that are 500 or better. Um, and if you just look at the teams that they might be playing in the first round, certainly Memphis and the Warriors, but even looking at the Suns, who they won't get, um, presumably won't get, but, you know, they, they've played those teams toe-to-toe. They've beaten Memphis once or twice this year. They've beaten the Warriors once or twice this year, and they've played pretty well against Phoenix. Like, they've held their own. So it'll be – that's what I'm saying. Like, it'll be a fun series. Watching them in the playoffs – and I, I get this way about teams that have these long layoffs. The Suns, the Knicks, um, you know, God knows when the Kings will make it next. It's been 16 years, but hopefully them sometime soon. Like, there's just a pent-up energy. The Cavs will be that way, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Like, especially without LeBron on the roster, it'll be incredible to just kind of see the energy, the Bulls this year. Of, of a team that has not had a playoff run in a while and getting that opportunity. I can't wait for the Timberwolves. I'm excited for them. I'm excited for their fans. And they're a team that like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. we, we talk about experience, but um, if they can, if they can string together a couple of good games, they're very capable of knocking out a team that, you know, is seated above them for sure. Shout out to the Timberwolves. The future is bright in Minnesota. Thank you again, Carrie, for writing that email. Um, all right, Chris, I think that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for being yourself. Thank you so much to our listeners. Um, please keep your emails coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Um, everybody, please stay safe. Everybody, please continue to enjoy the NBA season. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility snakes zombies sharks heights speaking in public the list of fears is endless but while you're clutching your blanket in the dark wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel and while you might think a great white shark is scary what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving eyes forward don't drive distracted brought to you by nitsa and the ad council If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.